Hi, you're listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. We're releasing our sermons so that no matter where you were Friday, you can enjoy a piece of Shabbat today. So take a deep breath, relax, and enjoy some words from Rabbi Dina. Shabbat Shalom. It's nice to be here bringing in light with each of you. I want to give you a heads up that at the end of this drosh, I'm going to give you an assignment and um, it's kind of hard. So I'm going to share it with you now so that you have time to process and think. So at the end of this drosh, I'm going to ask you a question. And the question is, what is your big wild dream? Those of you who came to Minion this week already had a chance to hear this question. So when I say a big, wild dream, I'm talking about something that's not technically impossible, like being able to spontaneously fly, but definitely something that isn't likely to happen or something that isn't already happening. The kind of dream that you would only consider late at night and never out loud. And I'm talking about personal dreams, right? Like climbing Everest or winning a Grammy or getting paid to travel the world and eat chocolate, which would be amazing. There are a lot of big dreams that we have for the world, right? On a day in which 3,000 or more people died of COVID and there are children starving and there is violence and there is injustice, we have big dreams for the world and our davening and Jewish practices help us think about that. But actually tonight, I'm asking you about a you-focused dream, right? Something that is for you, that you will do and that will give you a sense of joy and satisfaction and pride when you accomplish it. So unless you are personally aspiring to win a Nobel Peace Prize, I'm not asking you to wish for like world peace. I'm asking about a a big wild dream that you have for your own life. I shared the question in Minion this week and I loved hearing people's responses and having the discussion. And some of y'all have just amazing, big, bold, incredible dreams. And I hope that I get to see them fulfilled. And when we talked about this in Minion, I was really struck by the fact that some people had a big dream right at the tip of their tongues. Like when I said, what's your big dream? Some people were ready. And other people were like, I I don't know. I guess I've never really considered that. Like, is that something that I can and should think about right now? Isn't, shouldn't I be focused on my world side big dreams? And one millionaire said that What makes this question so hard, but also so exciting is that it takes us beyond the pandemic. So I want to start by acknowledging the difficulty of the question that I'm asking, right? Having dreams now feels so hard. Even things that I thought were in my grasp, right? Like my dream wedding that was supposed to happen in two weeks, it's totally fallen out of my reach. So I get that trying to resurrect a dream in the middle of a pandemic when we don't know what the future is going to look like. And there's so much uncertainty and disappointment. I get that that is so hard, right? And a lot of my dreams right now are things that I once took for granted and that I actually hope someday I will come to take for granted again, like hug my bubby or go out to dinner on occasion. And Maybe the moments when it feels hardest to dream are actually the ones that are the best times to dream, right? If everything feels broken and wrong, there's a lot of space for innovation and newness. There's a lot of room to go up from there. People who are content with their lives have no reason to change them, no reason to dream big if everything feels good. So we need a little darkness to make space for new dreams. 
there's a midrash that says that a person who is standing in a dark place can see what is happening in the light, but a person who's standing in a light place can't see what's happening in the darkness. Only God, only holy blessing can see in the light and the darkness. And right now is literally the darkest time of the year. We have the earliest sunsets. We're about to enter a new moon. If you were to go outside, you would get more hours of darkness today than pretty much any other time of the year. So we're in the literal darkest part of the year. Figuratively, I think it feels like the darkest part of the year. Like we have this hope about what could happen, but also we're in this sense of like, I'm probably going to be isolated for a while this winter and I don't really know what's going to happen. And there's turmoil and there's transition. And in this darkness, in this moment of it's dark out and I don't know what's happening, we have a holiday that tells us, hey, it's time to play with light. We stand in this dark place. And so Hanukkah comes to tell us, you know, you could take advantage of that darkness. You could use it to help get some clarity, right? You can stand in this moment of darkness and that gives you better vision into what's happening in a light place. And then slowly we go from standing in this really dark place to bringing more light into our lives, little by little, adding one candle each night for eight nights. And Halakha says that we're actually not supposed to use the light of our Hanukkah candles. Like we're not supposed to create benefit from them. We're just supposed to enjoy them. So, okay, I will not sit in front of the candles of my Hanukkah and read a book with the rest of the lights off in my apartment. I can make that happen. But I will sit in the dark and look at their flickering lights and dream because you kind of can't help but dream when you look into those little flickering lights. Like it, it gives you this like enchanted trance-like feeling. And the darkness of this season and the magic of creating light in Hanukkah, it's definitely got me in sort of a dreamy mindset. But what actually got me started on this whole big dreams question this week was the story of Joseph, the original dreamer, the person who opens our Parsha this week by sharing two of his big, like capital B, big dreams with his family and pissing them all off. So he's already not the most popular guy in his family. And he goes to his brothers and he's like, hey guys, listen to my cool dreams. And then he tells his father and his brothers that he dreamt that there was a sun and moon and 11 stars that represent them, his brothers and father. And in his dream, they all bow down to him, which is just rude. Like that's a rude thing to tell your family, even if it was your dream. And then because Joseph clearly can't take a cue from the crowd. He's like, oh, by the way, I had another dream. And um, there were 11 sheaves of wheat that were pretty mediocre looking sheaves of wheat. And they all bowed down to my really nice sheaf of wheat. Just to emphasize that his dreams are about him having dominion and power and superiority over his brother. So no wonder they hate him. That's like a real jerk move. We know because we can read on in the text that 22 years later, 22 years after he tells these dreams, they do come true. The brothers will come to bow down before Joseph in Egypt. So my question in this Parsha is, does Joseph believe that those dreams are going to come true as a teenager? Or is he in the dark, to use an apt metaphor, about the prophetic nature of his dreams? It's hard to say, right? The commentators pretty unanimously are like, yeah, it doesn't really matter if he was a prophet or not. He was a jerk for making his siblings listen to this rude thing, right? So 
no matter what, even if he had these big dreams and if, even if he believed with perfect faith that they were going to come true, he shouldn't have rubbed it in their faces knowing that it was going to hurt them. And so maybe we just read this and we're like, okay, yeah, Joseph had big dreams, but he was also kind of a jerky, spoiled 17-year-old. Those don't really exist in the real world, of course. It seems to me like he wanted to tell his family about his dreams because he genuinely believed in them. And he was so full of excitement. Like they just made him so giddy that he was like, you guys have to hear this. Which makes me think that he was a little bit less of a jerk for just being excited. Like I can relate to that feeling of being so excited about something. But also like, I still have questions, right? What did he think was going to happen that would cause his family to bow down to him? Like, how did he envision this dream playing out? And how did he feel about the prospect of standing and watching his family bow down to him? Like, that's not something I would look forward to. That would make me feel really uncomfortable. So I'm wondering, was Jacob excited? Was he scared? Was he regretful of sharing his dreams? Like, was he sharing these as like, I'm so sorry, guys. I think this is going to happen. I really feel terrible about it. I don't really know. I do know that if I were Joseph and I had these kind of dreams and I genuinely believe they were prophecies, probably, even if it was a big dream, I would make like an ostrich. I would stick my head in the sand. I would never say a peep to anyone and I would hope like hell I was wrong. No good can come of it, right? Like even if the prospect of watching your family bow down to you does give you kind of a thrill, you don't need to be a prophet to realize that your, your family's not going to feel good about this. Like it's not going to end well. But Joseph had big dreams and he wanted to share them. And what happens next after he shares his big dream is actually the darkest part of his story. His brothers toss him in a pit to die. And then he gets fished out and sold into slavery. And just when that starts to go well, he's falsely accused of a crime and chucked in an Egyptian jail. Right? The text literally says, like, it is dark for him. And I have never been through this exact scenario. My siblings have never tossed me in a pit and then sold me into slavery. Don't get any ideas if you're watching, guys. I wouldn't say that it seems encouraging. Like, if I were Joseph and these things happened to me, I probably would say, you know, I probably shouldn't have shared that big dream. This might be something like karma or payback for being a jerk and lording things over my family. It's not the kind of thing that would encourage me to keep holding on to big dreams, but Joseph does. He sticks by his dreams and he sticks by his belief that having big dreams matters. He continues to be known as a dreamer, even when it feels like his dreams are kicking him in the face. And as a foreign slave imprisoned in a jail for a, a crime that he actually declined to commit, Joseph is still known as the dreamer. He's known as the guy you go to when you have a big dream and you want to share it. So a few years ago, I was working as a prison chaplain in New York City, ministering to people who are finishing sentences or were transitioning out of being incarcerated. And I came into that job with the mindset that I have about Joseph now, which is when you've been beaten down, you might start to think that you deserve bad things. And with very few exceptions, this was not true of the guys I worked with. Were they pissed about the systemic inequality and racism that had pervaded their lives before, during, and after their incarceration? Yes. But dang, those guys had dreams. 
Many of them had been incarcerated their entire adult lives. Many had never had an on the books job. And so I assumed falsely that they were going to have a hard time dreaming of a new life, right? That they were going to be able to say that they wanted success, but they were going to have a hard time pinpointing what that would look or feel like for themselves, right? Like I never doubted their motivation, but I couldn't imagine how a person could have a dream that never felt within reach. I was totally, completely wrong. Like the kind of wrong that I spent some time on Yom Kippur repenting for, wrong. I led this weekly spirituality group for people who were new to the recovery program. And each week with people who were new, I led a guided meditation where I talked them through picturing their lives in 10 years. This is a really good thing to do if you find yourself struggling to articulate a big dream, right? You close your eyes and you imagine 10 years from now, where are you living? Who's around you? What do you do all day? And how does that feel? And then after that guided meditation, I invited all the guys to write their own six word story. Some of you were with us on Rosh Hashanah and so you got to do a little bit of six word stories. If you're not familiar, it's really simple. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's six words, no more, no less, that tell some kind of story. So with the guy's permission, I wanna actually share some of the stories now, right? When I worked in this um, facility, I asked their permission to write down their stories. And at the end, I created a book of their six word stories for the facility. So some of them live on in perpetuity. And I want to share them with you because they're just like, if you are struggling to articulate a big dream, here's some motivation. Okay. One of them says, crawl, walk, fall, crawl, stumble, run. Another one says, can do a lot, will do more. Another one, I love this guy, says, soul not for sale, highly motivated. Another, I will not fail for me. And the last one I'll share tonight, roses blossom from bits of cement. And when we were sitting in our group in the recovery center, sharing these stories after each one, it was like there was a beat in the room and I wanted to say, amen. Like they felt like prayers that I wanted to speak into being in the world with them. But I didn't even get a chance because I was drowned out by the other guys in the group giving each other so much positive feedback and encouragement. They knew they were all together standing in dark places, dreaming big, capital B, big dreams, looking into the light. And they would have made the rabbis of that midrash I shared earlier proud. They had a little patience with their darkness, not too much. And they also believed in the power of speaking out their big dreams as a way of guiding themselves towards them. The rabbis of the Talmud have a lot to say about dreams. And one of the things that I like best about their whole sort of dialogue about dreams is this idea that a person who has a bad dream should go, you know, the kind of dream that troubles your soul. There's the bad dreams where you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, <gasps> snake, and then you fall back asleep and you don't really remember it the next day. And then there's the kind of dreams where you wake up the next day feeling just like off. So the rabbis say, if you have that kind of dream where you're just totally thrown for a loop, you should go to three friends and tell them 
hey, guess what? I had a great dream. And the friends are supposed to know this means like you had a really bad dream. And so the friends are supposed to say back to you, a good dream, a blessing, blessings for you. Like the, the power of sharing your need for support and the power of people validating that for you, those are the kind of things that transform dreams. Big dreams take community. They take support. They take validation. They take sometimes speaking them out into the world. And that is scary as hell. Or actually, maybe it's just the possibility of failure that scares us, right? Like if we share our big dream and then it doesn't happen, can we deal with that disappointment? But if we share it with someone else and we get their validation and support, we actually know we can handle failure because we know we've got people who've got our backs. So I asked you a little while ago to think of your big wild dream. And now I'm going to invite you to share it in the chat. I know it's scary. And so fair is fair. So I will share mine. My big dream is to be a Peloton instructor. This is the point where I would wish that we could cue a laugh track, right? Because I, I feel silly sharing this with you. And don't worry, you're not losing a Mishkan rabbi anytime soon. The chances of my big dream being realized are not impossible, but exceedingly low. But when I say it out loud, I get to think about why it thrills and excites me. Like I get to think about why I actually have a smile on my face telling you that I want to be a Peloton instructor, knowing that I am never going to be a Peloton instructor. Because I realize as soon as I say it, as soon as I share it, and then I feel like I have to back it up, that actually a lot of the things that appeal to me about it, I, I have them in my life right now, right? I... I'm wearing a lot more clothing and probably a lot less makeup than I would if I was actually a Peloton instructor. And for that, I'm grateful. But I get to be active in my job and I get to preach confidence and love and tolerance and perseverance. And I get to create community and create relationships with people. So I actually am living out my big dream in its own not so little way. And holding on to that big dream it motivates me to get back on my bike when my legs are tired. And it motivates me to do better at my current and honestly, actually kind of dream job. So you've had a little time to think. I filled the space with words while you were thinking about your big dream. And now it is your chance to share in the chat. What is your big dream? What do you imagine for yourself that feels big, and juicy, and maybe a little bit impossible. And in the timeless words of a classic Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, any dream will do. You've been listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan Chicago. If you enjoyed this sermon and want to join us live, Tune in to Shabbat services through Facebook most Fridays of the month and through Zoom two Saturday mornings a month. Our schedule of services and programs can be found at mishkanchicago.org slash events, where there's also a link to donate and support our work. And you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Mishkan Chicago. Until then, please feel free to subscribe and leave us a review.
As always, we want to hear from you. This episode has been brought to you by me, Zach Weinberg, our editor and producer, Hannah Rehack, our rabbinical team, Rabbis Lizzie Heideman and Dina Cowens, and our director of communications, Ashley Donahue. On behalf of Teen Mishkan, thanks for tuning in. <laughs>